Welcome to Biz Banter, where we cover all the buzz and biz. I'm your host, Sage. Let's get into it. At this point of time, we're all familiar with COVID and the general concept of global pandemics. We've even begun to throw around terms like quarantine, N95, rapid tests, inoculation, and PPE as if they have been a part of our vocabulary for ages. Perhaps this is yet another representation of the profound impact of the coronavirus pandemic. This pandemic's impact has spanned across the globe, and almost every household would have some personal connection to it. It was that very connection that led entrepreneur Rob Gregg to start a business during the pandemic that would be a game changer for healthcare professionals worldwide. In addition to having immense passion for having a positive impact in this world, Rob Gregg is also a Forbes Under 30 fellow, Techstars alum, GQ insider, and the founder and CEO of Gales, the first smart PPE footwear for medical professionals. Rob's story of starting Gales is absolutely incredible, and I'm thrilled to share it with you all on the pod in this episode. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Doing good. I'm so excited to have you on today. Yeah, likewise. Excited to be here. There's so much to talk about. You are a serial entrepreneur with such a cool background and so many amazing ventures that you've had. But before we talk more about you and your journey as an entrepreneur, I'm going to play a little game with you. So we have true or false assumptions about entrepreneurs. So I have some assumptions that people have about entrepreneurs. If you agree, you'll say true, disagree, false. Perfect. Let's do it. So the first one is all you need to be an entrepreneur is a good idea. Ooh, uh, that is a key component, but false. There's a lot more that goes to it. So what are some other things that you need besides the idea? I would say it's a mindset, really. So the difference between having a good idea, because everyone's got a good idea, it's in the execution. And what happens a lot of times is you go through these curves where you get the spark, you get the idea, and then when it comes down to doing the work, that's where most people's energy drops off. And really the biggest difference between having a great idea and actually building it is having the passion to continue forward through the tough stuff because most of it is not fun. It's not sexy. A lot of it is behind the scenes. Um, And I think one of the key pieces to it and a good filter for is this an idea worth building a business around is would you give up everything else in pursuit of this? And would you put your full passion, time, and energy towards this one concept because you believe so firmly that it will succeed? And if the answer is yes, then you can start your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, idea is definitely just the start and there's so much more that comes into it after. So totally agree with you. Next assumption that we have is that starting a business guarantees freedom. Absolutely not. Um, It is probably one of the least freeing things if I'm being really candid because Uh, As soon as you decide to go all in and cut off any sources of income, you're under a lot more constraints. You right now, I mean, I haven't taken a paycheck in seven, eight months. And so I have to now check the price of milk. Uh, You know, if I want to go out, I have to figure out if I go out, is this going to fit into the roadmap before I'm at a point of profitability? And usually the answer is no. So Life is pretty constrained. You have to make a lot of sacrifices. And even with your time, 
Um, when you're building your own business, if you don't put in the energy and effort, nobody else is going to, and it sits dormant until you push it through. So your hours are longer, your financial restrictions are greater, where you invest your time even. Because with a nine to five job, for all intents and purposes, you can leave at the end of the day and have your mini midday retirement. Uh, but when you're starting a company, there really is no endpoint. So you have a lot more responsibilities in terms of where you're spending your time. And that brings us to our next assumptions, which is entrepreneurs are only motivated by money. Definitely not. I would say that's probably the last bit of the equation. Uh, obviously, if I think that this idea is going to succeed, there will be a financial goal at the end of it, but it's about a passion. I see a market opportunity. I see where my skill sets align. And I also just check within myself of, am I happy in this environment? And I'm beyond insanely happy to be building my own business as opposed to working into a nine to five job. So really it's about the passion and where I'm spending my time. And this to me is exciting. This is fulfilling. Um, obviously if it's successful, the financial bit will come but I don't have any delusions of immediate profitability anytime soon until I invest my own time and build this company to a point where it's actually valuable. Really, really well said. So that's final assumption that we have for you is that entrepreneurs do not have a personal life. Uh, it's kind of one in the same. I mean, I definitely still do. I just got engaged uh, building a business and you know, that doesn't stop. Uh, you just need to figure out how it all fits into the equation. But the other thing, and this is some, uh, something that someone told me a while ago uh, when I was working seven days a week, he goes, weekends are a human invention. And they're there for a reason because you need to build in some time to break. Because if you just go, 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 it's like if you're a high performance car, at some point you have to pit stop got to get an oil change you got to fill up on the tank or you're going to run into the ground it doesn't matter how expensive the automobile is so you still need to make sure that you carve out time for yourself that is such a great analogy and i think it's very very important that people keep that in mind because i think there's such a glorified idea of what entrepreneurship is supposed to look like and people assume it's like hustle 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 don't stop but i think that's really great so take that pit stop people definitely take it so rob that was like a fun way to see how you think based on your own experiences as an entrepreneur but we want to learn more about you now so tell us about your career path leading up to starting your own business so before you started any business what were you doing Sure. So it may seem at a glance like kind of a jumbled hodgepodge, but there's common themes and strings between everything. Basically, uh, my entire career path was building my tool chest with all the applicable uh, knowledge bases and connections and networks that I need to apply today. So early careers, uh, I started out in advertising in the UK, I was in brand licensing, ended up moving out to California to join a talent agency. So I was packaging brands and talent um, but a common theme there was how do you take an idea with whether it's a new artist or actor or business or brand and how do you popularize popularize that to the public and bring it to market so from there i ended up working with simon cowell and i was in music management for a while managing some really interesting pop stars that most of you probably have heard of which then brought me out to new york where i ended up joining a record label as head of marketing and artist development and again, it was figuring out how do you take an idea or an artist or a brand, merge them, blend them in a way that's commercially viable. So then from there, um, I had done that for quite some time, 
but I had the entrepreneurial itch to scratch. I originally built a shoe company called Rob McCallan out of necessity. Basically, men's shoes are really uncomfortable. So I said, there's got to be a better way. Uh, and that's a whole other podcast and story. But in a nutshell, I put about 18 months, my whole life savings into building this business, which had failed three, four times before I actually even got it off the ground. It's all in about three to four years of work just to get that going. Um, but throughout that, I studied feet. I studied footwear. I learned the ins and outs of the industry. It's very relationship-based, very closed off, extremely difficult to get into, really expensive if you don't know the right way that you're doing it. So I basically built a masterclass in footwear. All the while, I ended up joining a MarTech company as the founding business development member. And the goal there was I needed some funds for the business, but I also needed to know the direct-to-consumer side. So I joined as team member eight. I ended up growing that business from 200,000 in top line revenue to just under 90 million in annual revenue in four years. Signed a little bit over 250 plus direct to consumer brands. Uh, some of the biggest names in D2C today. I've worked with directly, seen with work, what hasn't. So again, I built myself a masterclass in knowledge in how do you acquire customers on a performance benchmark basis and how do you convey storytelling today in a digital age. So. All of those tool chests together, I ended up selling my founder shares in that business. The intention was to go full-time into this luxury footwear brand, and as fate would have it, COVID hit, and the luxury market, pretty much the bottom fell out. So here I'm sitting with a little bit of extra capital uh, from the sale of my founder shares, a lot of knowledge in the footwear space, and what ended up happening, I was donating money towards the production of PPE from all the footwear sales, and the director of nursing, uh, Sonsills, Society of Nurses, Innovators, Entrepreneurs, and Leaders, reached out and said, hey, thank you for donating. Love what you're doing in footwear. I want to talk a little bit more about some challenges that we're facing. And as it turns out, the number one issue in infection control in the, foot, in, uh, the medical industry is footwear, both tracking disease in and out of hospitals, as well as most of them are wearing mesh athletic shoes, which allows moisture and disease to get in the shoes. You can't clean them easily. Most of them now, they got to take them off and throw them in the wash, uh, but they can't put them in the dryer because the glue falls apart. So found a huge gaping hole for 18 million medical professionals in the U.S., 59 million worldwide, who currently do not have a shoe that they're identifying as a PPE shoe that's stylish, comfortable, easy to clean, and affordable. So that was the catalyst for bringing me today with a new footwear business, uh, Gales, that I'm currently finishing up production on, raising the investment round and hoping to bring to market in early 2021. That is so incredible. And that's like a, such a cool trajectory that you've had to this point. But when you're doing so well in these conventional roles, so you're working with A-listers, you're really growing the companies that you're in, why take that leap and do entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I realized that I for whatever reason, formed a knack into building brand and building awareness for other people. And I said, well, if I'm this confident at being able to do it for somebody else, why not do it for myself? And so having proven a track record time and time again, taking something from obscurity into superstardom, whether it be in the celebrity space, the brand space, or even the unsexy side on the B2B space, growing businesses, I realized that I have the skill set to do this, and I'm the one leading the charge. There's obviously teams of people beneath me that I work with, 
and incorporate, but I'm the one that's saying yes. I'm the one that's directing the plan. I'm the one that's building these strategies. And so I realized that, okay, I'm in a position where I could continue doing this for life and be building somebody else's business, or I can take that risk and take that chance and build it for myself. And it's much riskier. So, you know, there's safety and security in working for a big business, but that safety and security is not really at the pinnacle of what it means to be an entrepreneur. You take that risk because there is a potential for greater reward. And I think um, to me, the, the biggest risk in staying in a safe and similar environment was that I knew where my growth cap would be. I was never going to be anything more than a star player at a, a company or firm, which sure, um, it pays well and it affords a lot of luxuries, but it just didn't scratch my itch to build something for myself. And I also know that if I believe 100% in myself and apply the skill set that I've done for other people, I firmly believe in myself and my chance to succeed. And by going out and venturing out on my own, well, yes, it's a huge risk. It comes with a lot of downsides and uh, immediate financial losses, um, but the potential greater upshot, both financially, but also for my happiness and well-being and pride and ownership and building something that uh, I was able to achieve off my own back instead of in a safe and secure environment. Yeah, and that's such a great reason to be an entrepreneur. So why were you really compelled to build this business? So Gail's in particular, you already had that experience with footwear, which is like a really cool story and how you got into it. But why Gail's? Because you could have just heard them say that, okay, yeah, we'd love for you to do it. But why did you say, okay, let's actually do it? Yeah, so it comes from learnings from failure. Um, with my first business, I launched it because I personally wanted a more stylish dress shoe that didn't look like every other shoe on the shelf, which they're pretty much indiscernible, but one that was comfortable. So in that round, I started with, I think this is a need and I think this is cool. So let me build this. And I actually, uh, in all fairness, I did start that because people stopped me on the street after I made the first pair. I collected about 330 plus email addresses from individuals that said, hey, if you ever make this, I'll make it for you. But I was uh, a young entrepreneur at the time. So my first endeavor in footwear, I didn't know the cost associated. I didn't even know how to manufacture these. So the first go around, I did them the wrong way in America. And then eventually I made it out to Italy and learned the ambiguities of it. But I was going in blind into that venture. And one of the biggest blind spots was on the consumer side. Of, okay, I know this is a certain demographic that is express expressing an interest for it, but what research have I done beyond just these verbal confirmations? And don't get me wrong, that footwear business did very well for itself organically. It's featured in GQ five times, some on red carpets and celebrities, it's in the official World Cup music video on Jason Derulo, sponsored by Coca-Cola. So it did some amazing things with that brand, uh, but it was kind of this slow and steady. Whereas now I'm going, okay, if I'm going to put my time and energy into a business, I want to look at an explosive growth trajectory. And how do I do that? And this go around, it came from identifying problem, identifying a real need, identifying the audience and going out to that audience directly and saying, hey, is this actually an issue for you? So what I actually did, and I'm surprised that uh, more of my entrepreneur friends haven't adopted this strategy, but I just put together a Google form. So I found out immediately from someone who is respected in the nursing profession that this is a challenge for them and their staff. And I said, okay, well, let me actually research this and figure out how widespread A, the issue is, and B, the need for it, and C, 
how readily this market would adopt it. So I did all that research up front. I actually crowdsourced design the shoe directly with the medical professional community. Uh, I sent designs and there's things that I didn't even think about. And said, oh, well, why not remove the laces? And okay, um, you know, any little aspect of the shoe that's not going to be uh, a rubber or a foam that's going to be absorbent, that makes the shoe non-eligible to be fully PPE. So remove any of these extra paddings and open cell foams and things like that. So I learned a lot from the community. And uh, before I even spent a dollar on the project, I basically built the MVP. I set the price range for it. I surveyed the audience. I figured out how big the need was. 67% of respondents said, if you make this shoe today, and I reached out to 89 different medical facilities, mostly in the US, some in the UK, Australia, and Canada. And an overwhelming majority said, yes, we'll buy this today. So I basically did what a lot of these companies do is they try to figure this out after launch. I did it ahead of time and figured out if I build this, is there a market for it? So as opposed to the mentality of if you build it, they will come. I said, well, before I even build it, I want to find out, do you want to come to this venue if I build this? Do you even want this built? So I did that ahead of time. I realized how big the opportunity was. I then looked at where my skill sets lie and where my capabilities lie. And I go, well, I have a passion and a knowledge for footwear. I know the direct consumer space better than any of my colleagues or anybody that I know. Uh, and this is a real need. And furthermore, on a personal note, uh, my fiance's brother was uh, affected by COVID and in fact was in a ventilator in the UK. And we had a really harrowing FaceTime call with him where they were considering putting him into a coma. And we thought maybe this is going to be the last time that we talked to him in a while. And it's, I don't even want to say it out loud, but you can imagine the alternative scenarios. But fortunately, he pulled through. So that put an immense focus to me on the healthcare sector. And then looking at what are the biggest problems today? How can I get back today? But into the future, beyond COVID, this problem will continue to exist. And even outside of the directly nursing community, dentist office, hospitality groups, senior living, in-home care, there's so many different sectors that this awareness has been raised around for cleanliness that I don't see going away anytime soon. So I'm really excited to be solving a real need, having addressed all of the market data points that I needed ahead of time, built in the exact community that I'm targeting, and realizing there's no real direct competition at this price point, this particular product for the community. So really excited to be uh, pushing this business forward. Yeah. And it's so crazy to think that this doesn't even exist yet. You would think it does, but it's just one of those things that you don't even realize that it doesn't exist. So we talked a little bit about COVID, right? So do you think you would have started this business if it weren't for COVID? Probably not, to be honest, um, because I uh, had a full-time job had this other business and there was still a market in the economy for it. So uh, the plan was still to exit the marketing business and focus full time on this luxury footwear brand. But I would have not realized, I would have overlooked the medical community altogether had it not been for this as a catalyst. So with the certain conditions that happen, it afforded me the opportunity to take a look at, well, there's this unique issue that is uh, bringing awareness around it, but it's an old issue and it will continue to be an issue. So the fact that COVID happened drew my eye to an unaddressed market. And what I realized from talking to medical professionals to go, we're people too. 
And, you know, we care about what we look like at work. As I said, well, why not wear some of these clog style shoes? And they go, well, we just don't like the way we look. So we wear these athletic shoes that aren't protective because they look nicer, even though we're aware that fluids can drip onto the mesh top of the shoes and get through and infect us. But even that, there's a, a risk that they're willing to take and overpaying for shoes because they care about what they look like. So I go, okay, this is crazy to me. And basically what they said is no one has addressed us. No one has created an affordable shoe that's fully protective that looks nice. It's that simple. It's just no one is targeting or looking at our community. So COVID, a silver lining and everything, opened my eyes to this underserved community and was the catalyst for developing this business. Yeah, that's definitely a really big silver lining. And there's certainly a lot of potential for it with the medical community. So talking about the name a little bit, Gales, it's a really cute name. And I know the story a little bit, but I'd love for you to share how you came up with the name Gales. Sure. So I have to credit that one to my fiance, actually. Um, so uh, in the D2C space, my initial gut was keep it short, keep it sweet, keep it fun. Uh, it's pre- predominantly female targeted since that, that is the majority of the profession. And just through a little bit of research, what my fiance uncovered is that Florence Nightingale was the founder of modern nursing. And so Gales is almost perfect because uh, it's a shortening of Florence Nightingale. She's the founder of modern nursing. And what better name to adopt? for a predominantly female-focused footwear brand that is addressing a first of its kind as well for the nursing profession. That is so cute and so lovely. That's such like a really great little story behind how you came up with the name. So talking about Gales, you had this idea, you did a lot of research before, and you obviously had experience building shoes and working in the shoe industry, but how did you really take this from idea to execution? Sure. Um, and really, it's you answer the question, it's execution. So um, mapped it out. And so I actually opened up, I'm very organized with everything. And this is really key um, is managerial expertise as well as organization for getting something off the ground. Because it can be overwhelming if you don't have a North Star to point to. Because for all intents and purposes, the building business, it's up to you. You don't have a boss telling you this is what needs to get done today. So I got the basics done, filed for the trademarks, um, any of the patents, the naming, set up the business, registered the accounts, all of the standard things. But in terms of getting the business off the ground, I said, okay, well, I know footwear, but I know classic construction footwear. I need to get into an entirely different type of manufacturing to make it more affordable. And the way to do that, in my particular case, is through injection molding. So I did more research. I said, okay, well, Crocs is making the shoes for publicly $9 a unit, whereas Nike publicly is about $27 a unit. So I'm going, okay, it's a third the cost to go through this process. Let me see who are the top players. And I just researched and I called outreach, picked up the phone and you'd be surprised at if you just pick up the phone and have a good story to tell and are earnest about it, humble about it, and are asking the right questions, how many doors can open? I think that that was a fallacy that I had when I was younger as well. I don't have the right connections. And I don't know the right people. Well, make the connections and open your own doors. Uh, that's kind of one of the beauties of it. So I picked up the phone. I ended up getting in touch with some folks who knew some people that I've worked with. And uh, basically, as the story unfolded, I ended up securing a manufacturer that happened to be opening up a new facility in North America 
that can produce a high volume of units per day at the cost with the right product. They do not make a fully completed shoe. So this will be the first fully completed shoe that they make. So they're very much leaning into it as a first of its kind, as much as I am. And through that, we found an insole supplier that's one of the biggest names in B2B uh, for insoles. So I'm helping them bring that to the consumer-facing side as well for an art-supportive, breathable, fully comfortable insole. So all these pieces came together because I had a clear vision in mind, was able to articulate that in a very succinct way to all the partners that I needed to get this done. And then from there, moved it forward. And a lot of it were in exploratory phases. I have some knowledge that they're lacking and vice versa. So it's been very much a collaborative process. And by the way, there can be this appearance that things move really quick when you're building new business, but they actually take a lot of time. I've been working on this for about six to seven months now, as I mentioned previously. And we're maybe about six to seven weeks away from having the finished product, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. And something that I've found to be a barrier to entry for a lot of entrepreneurs as well is the cost. But by the way, the startup costs don't necessarily need to be astronomical. You don't have to go all in. You don't have to spend on all these flashy and splashy things. Really focus and figure out how can you be a lean startup? What is the minimum viable amount that you need to get this through? While at the same time, making sure that you're creating good margins for your vendors and the one that you're working with. But the amount that it's going to take to get this off the ground, if I look at myself and go, okay, what do I need? 20, 30, 40, $50,000, in some cases, $100,000. I'm convinced that if this completely fails, there's and 100% certainty that I will be able to make that back in the rest of my life. But what I won't be able to do is continue to wait and continue to save and try to get to this point where I have this surplus of cash in the bank. And by the way, it's going to be closer to seven figures that I'll need to get off the ground, but I'll never get to that point where I have 100% of the reserves. So you kind of have to get to that point where you leap without having a parachute and just go all in and have a passion for it because something changes when you have conversations with people you want to work with, with people you want to invest in, when you're all in, it sends the message to whoever else you're trying to get all in as well, that they're going to be safe, or at least they're going to have a better chance of succeeding with you, as opposed to someone who said, you know, I'm starting this because I have all this money left in the bank. It seems really cool to me. I'm interested in pushing it forward. Most people call it a thing. Don't ever call it a thing. I have conviction about it. But they go, okay, well, if this fails, then you're going to be fine. I want to know if this fails that you're going to be on the street. I want to know that the walls come crumbling down and light falls apart if this does not go through. And so by putting myself in the position where the walls will come crumbling down, I'm very, very low on personal finances. It's been a while since I've been in the workforce. So that also sets me back should I ever want to go back into the traditional workforce, which I don't. Um, but I'm now in that position of getting down to the wire personally, but having that passion and having that commitment translates. So that's what's uh, pushed forward anybody that I'm working with on the development side, on the investment front. We're working to close that now, but we have some really interested, interested parties. Hopefully we can secure that soon and even starting pushing forward on the pre-order front. So once I secured my production, I figured out how do we create the MVP without breaking the bank? So to go to full production is much larger cost. So we work with minimums. 
We worked with constructive ways to get prototyping. I did a lot of research and found outside folks for things that they didn't have the capability for. So it's really just day by day, piecing it together, figuring out what do we need to get to the next phase? What do we need to get to the next phase? And right now, the next milestone to hit is physical product in hand that's representative of the final product. So I'm focusing all of my time and energy on getting that physical product done. And that'll take me to the next set of challenges. So really it's about how do you get from execution to idea? It's just executing and what needs to be done today to get me to the milestone that will get me through to tomorrow and the next set of goals and milestones. So you mentioned taking a leap of faith. So when you're taking a leap of faith, do you think it's okay to be strategic? So what about people that maybe want to keep their job while trying to do a side hustle? Do you think that's still a way that you can be successful? Or do you think leap of faith has to be more literal when it comes to entrepreneurship and you just got to don't look back and just go all in? Yeah, well, there's kind of two sides to the coin. So uh, fortunately, I did have a little bit of savings left up. But the first go around when I went all in, I didn't know how I was going to be able to pay rent and eat. And that put an unnecessary strain on the business, which is why I ended up getting back into having a job to at least stay afloat. But you have to cover your basic necessities as an entrepreneur because it's stressful. Um, There's a lot of unknowns and you're going to have a lot more rough days than you are in a safe, secure environment. But you need to be able to, at a very minimum, put a roof over your head. You need to be able to eat healthy. You have to have to have to get exercise. You have to have to have to do things that make you happy and bring energy into your life. For me, I try to read a book every Sunday, which I do most Sundays now. Um, But this go around, I made sure that, and I'm coming up to the wire right now, but at least I had six to seven months where I can go all in. Um, So you need to make sure that you can at least cover your basic necessities. Now, on the flip side of that, If you don't have to quit your day job, there's no reason why you need to. In my particular case, because of how hands-on this business is, I'm the one designing the shoe. I'm the one tweaking the blueprints for it. I'm having conversations daily. And from a bandwidth perspective, it's a full-time job. It takes up 100% of my day. There's always something to be done. So for this particular type of business, I would not be able to have the capacity required to do it while I had a full-time job to A, both be respectful and dedicate the time that is needed to, be, to perform at my day job, but be on the same fold, do that for my business. So on the flip side is if you're starting something that you don't need to quit your day job, that you can have as a side hustle, that you can 100% maximize it to its fullest potential while still having a day job, then by all needs. Um, you definitely want to be respectful of your time. Um, while you're at your day job, work on your day job. Really, really, really advise against blending the two together because you're just going to underperform on both fronts. But if you're honest with yourself and you can put in an honest, genuine effort at your day job and an honest, genuine effort with your side hustle and you have the bandwidth to do it, by all means. And hopefully the goal is that side hustle can become self-sustaining and independent. So no, you don't have to quit your day job. I'm not dogmatic about that. But what I am dogmatic about is you have to be able to cover your basic necessities to get through month to month. And by the way, uh, you'd be surprised and really rethink what are necessities. Going out is not a necessity. Drinking alcohol is not a necessity. Spending on luxury goods is not a necessity. There's a lot of things that are not travel is not a necessity. They're a nicety, but not a necessity. So you really have to be honest with what are things that are necessities 
and maybe you have something for yourself. But coffee is in the morning. To me, that's a necessity. It provides energy. It gets me going for the day. And it's my one little bit of happiness. So I've got little pods at home. Still cheaper than going to Starbucks. But, you know, that I had that one little thing for me. Books are cheap. So I can buy those as well. And that's where I find my solace. But as long as you can cover your basic necessities, evaluate how much time it's going to take. And you can make your decision based on that. Fantastic. And that's such really great advice and something that really puts things into perspective. And I love that nicety versus necessity. So that's really good to know. So as someone that is currently all in, what does a day in your life look like? It's different every day. Um, So I'm working with folks all over the world. So I may get an email at three in the morning. I try to wake up at six. Uh, Worst case, I'm out of bed by seven. And if I don't have anything sitting in my inbox, I'll go to the gym get some exercise and start the day out right, uh, make a cup of a coffee, have some cereal or something like for breakfast and then get to work. So usually I'm fielding responses to either my outsoles or my insole supplier or anybody else that's in the food chain that's building this product. And then the rest of the time during the day, I'm setting many milestones for myself. So first was get the website up which through Shopify, which I strongly recommend for anybody selling a physical good or product, uh, that only took me a weekend. I was really mindful of looking at themes and what's gonna cover the most functionality, shout to developers and said, hey, I like this, but I'm gonna have some tweaks. Is this something viable? Am I gonna need a picture for this? So did my research and figuring out what actually do I need for the store. I then put together the branding assets, visual assets, and started compiling that. Once that was done, Um, There's always going to be something to be tweaked on it, but the minimum viable product is done. So I use it as a benchmark to move on. So during the day, what I focus on is what is the MVP that I need to get done for today? And the way that I continue to make progress is because anybody who's creating something in some shape or form is an artist. It may not be a painter, photographer. Branding is an art. Developing a product or a business is an art. So entrepreneurs are artists, and as most artists, never 100% satisfied with their work. And if you don't continue to move on, you're going to dwell and try to perfect, and you're never going to actually reach uh, market. So it's these fast iterations. So what I try to do is say, okay, I need to get something done. I need to develop the boxes today. So let's put together some ideas for it. Let's put together best efforts for it um, in a clean, polished way and send it off and get some feedback on it, move on to the next. So, uh, what's really key in building momentum for a business is creating these trigger points that tell you that you're moving forward. Cause otherwise, if you're saying, well, I just need to build the brand today. How do you know if you've made progress on that? How do you know where to start? So I write this checklist and I go through, okay, this is one small piece I need done another small piece I need to done. And I also filter it and say, is this essential for the business? Because a lot of times people can get wrapped up in working on tasks that they're comfortable doing, but might not directly impact the business. So for example, if you already know that because you've spoken with a market, a sizable enough, uh, addressable, um, statistically relevant data pool that says, yes, we're all in, great. You've got that, move on. You don't need to spend the next two, three weeks continuing to research more and research more and research more. And yes, you can, it's beneficial, but you got enough information that's statistically relevant, move on. Same with the designs. If you've got some designs and yeah, there's some tweaks, fine, but just start having dialogues with it. Start sharing this with consumers with it, get the feedback, but 
continue to iterate, continue to move forward. So day to day, just focusing on what needs to get done today to move forward to the next phase. And you'll slowly start to realize what's important and what's not. Putting all the pretty pictures on Instagram, well, if you don't have a product yet, it doesn't mean anything. So sure, you need to build followers, but followers for what? You need a product first. Well, if you're saying, okay, well, how do I make a product? Then what comes before that? You need to find out who can make the product. So figure out who can make the product. And if you don't know that, then start even earlier. What are my filters for somebody who can make the product? So you just kind of start from the early stages of, I want to make this product. Then I go, what are the parameters for it? Then I move forward to who has the capacity to make this. Then I start those conversations. Then I figure out, okay, how do we create an iterative feedback loop with the end consumer and the people making the product? Then I start the next phase. I need some funding for it. So I explore those options and vet those out, which have their own tripods and bifurcations. And okay, I need the physical site. And now I want to save on finances. So I'm going to build it myself. I need some branding. I need the logos. I need the labels. So I just keep moving further and further down the pipeline. And eventually, once product goes live, that'll open up a new set. But it's just you're making sure that everything you're doing is with intention. It's actually going to drive a measurable result because at a day job, if they say, I want you to build out a pipeline, okay, you can put as many names as you want on it, but that doesn't mean anything. Maybe your boss is saying, good job. You put a bunch of names down. It doesn't mean anything until that pipeline has been outreached to and you start dialogue. So the thing to shy away from as an entrepreneur in terms of productivity and managing your day-to-day -day is, okay, you could spend months building out a pipeline, but it doesn't mean anything until you start to execute on it. So make sure that any task that you're doing is going to lead to an execution and is going to lead to something that's meaningful to pushing your business forward. And the other thing is there's no formula for this. So just because it worked for me might not work for you. And just because it worked for somebody else, again, it may not work for you. So don't do what you think you're supposed to do. Do what you actually realize needs to be done. And there can be a lot of people saying, well, before you go to this phase, you need to have X, Y, Z done. Okay, but do you? And maybe you've got another way of thinking about it. So it's just being true to yourself. And at the end of the day, you're the entrepreneur. You're the person that says yes or no. You're the only person that holds the key to this door. So if you think that that's the right route to go on, then go there. Obviously, take input and direction and feedback from other folks. Having community is uh, a really strong staple in terms of motivation and inspiration. Um, so building that community is fantastic. It may help you determine new tasks to look at. So I found out about how you can build out affiliate sites and super users that I wasn't focused on, but I talked to some in my community. So that will also be a day that I work on is being laser focused on building out that side. So um, really, it's execution. It's setting measurable goals, and it's making sure that those goals that you're setting are moving towards real progress for your business. Yeah, and that certainly sounds like you have a process that you're still following, even though each day looks different. And I love that you said you mentioned intention. So intention is definitely key and making sure you're staying on track. So that's all really good advice. So with any entrepreneur and with any business, there's always challenges, right? So what are some unexpected hurdles or challenges that you faced while building your business? Sure. Um, so there are some expected unexpected ones. The most immediate is it's always going to take a little bit longer and a little bit more than you originally planned for. The cost will always find a way to increase itself. 
the delays will always find a way to insert themselves. So even though you've got the best intentions in mind and everyone you're working with has the best intentions in mind, it's just, that's an inevitability. It's always going to cost a little bit more and take a little bit longer than you thought. And unfortunately, there's not much that you can do about that, except have really open and honest conversations with all of the key players as you can up front and ahead of time to mitigate that delta between the expected and reality. So I've been able to do that this go around to mitigate that variance. However, you still need to plan some of that wiggle room. Other unexpected challenges could be, um, well, I'm out raising finances right now, and I don't know what an investor wants to see back to move forward because this is a new business and this is an industry that I'm having first time conversations with. So they may say, well, we want to see a 3D prototype of the shoe. That's something that I didn't know and now I know. So I created that to advance those conversations forward. So the people that I am working with or on the investment front um, wrangling as well, is uncovering these new challenges. And even something in terms of, and fortunately I think that it's as close to airtight as can be, there's always more that can be approved upon, but other challenges are when you convey that story, are you telling it in the way that your audience is going to receive it? And it's uh, as much of an expert as you can be, there's always some trial and error because it's a new story, it's the first time that you're telling it to a new audience, and they're going to have some feedback. So some advice there, and I didn't always used to be this way, and I realized that it didn't serve me any good, is if I got a note from someone, originally I go, well, this just strengthens my resolve, and I'm 100% right. Well, as I come to realize, they're saying something to you for a reason. What is that reason? And if they're not 100% convinced, if your customer's not convinced, if the investor's not convinced, if the people that you're manufacturing with, you're making a physical product aren't convinced, listen to them and see if you can address those concerns. Um, and either A, they're the wrong person. So like if I'm trying to create a medical shoe, I want to get advice from medical workers, not necessarily an Olympic track athlete who's going to have different concerns. Sure, I can talk to them about it, but you also need to consider the source. But if it is a source whose opinion that you respect and is going to be meaningful towards the direction of your company, when they give you feedback, listen. And a challenge as an entrepreneur is to be humble about it and to take that criticism because your gut reaction can be defensive. It feels like your baby. It's something that you're passionate about and nobody wants to hear that they have an ugly baby or something can be changed about it. Um, but the more that you can critically listen and adapt and develop and be okay, get rid of your ego and be okay that there is maybe a different way to think about this and really challenge yourself. And going through these small iterative challenges of hearing critical feedback has actually developed the brand and positioned it in a way that I think is far stronger than what my initial concept was. So those challenges can actually be a strength is when you get a no. Find out why the answer is no. Is this something that no one's thought of before, or is this something that's meaningful? Either way, you're going to learn more about yourself. You're going to more and learn about more about your business, and it's going to help develop you along the way. So, in terms of challenges, there's the the planned and expected ones, where it's going to cost more and it's going to take longer. And then there's these other challenges that come up of just when you get critical feedback, but use that to your advantage, and you're going to be a lot better off. And in my particular case. 
the business has gone leaps and bounds in terms of its development, its positioning, even its price point, shape, and design because of that critical feedback that I've received. Yeah, and that's so well said because I think oftentimes, whether it's rejection or something else, we take it personally sometimes, but rather if we can look at it more level-headed and look for that feedback, that's always really helpful. So aside from challenges, we also have failures. So can you tell us about in failure that you had that ended up being good for your business in the long run? So maybe something you were yeah. like upset about, but then it actually ended up being good for you. Sure. Um, so fortunately, most of those failures happened with my previous endeavor. So one of the big things with footwear is the fit. So something that I realized, and there's this like, it's an archaic reason, but it also makes sense of why it still exists. So before the days of the internet, if you're going to make a shoe, most of them still come out of Italy, the last that you build the shoe on. Well, there was no communication between a European size and American size, other than people saying, this is what I think it is. Well, what used to happen is someone in Italy makes the last, they give it to the factory, they give it to the brand rep, they ship it over to America, they give it to the sales rep, customer says, hey, I'm a US size nine, tries on the shoe and goes, it's a little big, let me try an eight. And the sales rep goes, eights are selling, make more of that. But this loop was never closed way long ago that, hey, our shoes are in full size off. So fast forward to today, what happened was now brands realize our shoes don't fit right. And instead of correcting it, they just say runs half size big, runs full size big. Majority of footwear sites, even new ones, will put the size guide on their site. Of it's going to fit this much off or on. Well, existing brands don't change because you have a customer base who's used to buying that size in your shoe. So if I'm Ferragamo and I've been around forever, my customers are used to buying a size eight, even though maybe they're a size nine. And if we change that, all of a sudden our return rate is going to go through the roof and we may lose those customers. So the patch for it, unfortunately, is translated today. So most of these people that are even making it. So in this new iteration of the prototypes, and I, I just, I kind of had a feeling this was going to be the case, but the first prototypes I received, sure enough, even though I've gone through this before with my other footwear brand, and even the, the factory said, oh, just tell people they run full size big like everybody else does. I'm going, I don't want to do that. So this go around, because I've had that failure before, where I did have a full shipment of shoes that came, and I had 300,000, 300 to 1,000 pairs that were in the wrong sizes, which I had to say it was a UK 11, US 10 kind of a difference to make up for it. Uh, but having gone through that failure and realized that people that I'm going to be working with have this certain mentality and mindset and way of creating these size ranges, said, let me just test this theory, this go around. And sure enough, the new ones that came through, full size big. So the fix is I'm just buying a nine and a half and selling it to my production team, this is a 10 and a half. So they're none the wiser and we're getting the shoe in the right size. But those kind of uh, failures and things that can happen with a business can sink your business really quick because if all of your product is off by the same margin, yeah, you can patch for it, but it's so much better to just address it right out the gate. So those types of failures in terms of how do you develop a shoe? Uh, what happens if people have white feet? How do you shape a shoe that's going to be most accommodating for both narrow and wide feet? So a lot of my failures were on footwear design, learning materials, how they flex, how they breathe, the sizing of it, even the, the pricing of it and the sourcing of it. What are pitfalls with, okay, if I'm going to make it in this country, 
I know that they go on holiday for this amount of the year, or I know the response time here is this, and I know this culture is going to work in a certain way that's not going to change with a new venture. So having worked with a lot of different cultures and countries as well on this manufacturing um, and, and had expectations that weren't met, and maybe that was my fault for not communicating this ahead of time, but a lot of it as well is they would put in writing, it'll be done by this time, and it was longer. So just going through those failures with my first endeavor has made me that much stronger for this business because I know what to look out for. I know the pitfalls with this particular category. So all of these failures, I'm really happy that they happen on my own dime and my own time. Because worst case scenario for me is I start taking other people's money and I'm making these mistakes with their finances and their times. So as much as you can, and it's difficult to do, but I personally feel better about it. I know that I'm going to be that much better with finances that I bring. If you can make these learnings and mistakes on your own, do that. I strongly encourage figure out where it's going to fail, figure out where these mistakes can and will happen. No one is ever going to have a business. As many times as you've done it, there's always going to be something new that comes up. So don't think that you're going to be immune to mistakes. They're going to happen. But just try to mitigate that by doing as much as you can on as tight of a budget as you can. So those are some of the failures that I had and how they've actually become a strength in this new business that I'm building. Fantastic. So let's talk about rigidity versus flexibility. So it's, we've always heard that it's important to be flexible in business, but when are times that you should actually stick to your guns more? Because there's got to be some time where, okay, I need to be more rigid and other times where I need to be more flexible. So how do you know when to be rigid or when to be flexible? Sure. So this is whole concept of hot versus great. Uh, so you want to be rigid when you're bringing products to market. It's your vision. You need to be able to clearly dictate the vision for it. And if you've done your research, you know that there's a market willing to adopt it. You've talked to your customer base. You've figured out and dotted an I's and, and crossed all the T's with all the unknowns to the best of your ability. Um, as long as there's still unknowns and you've picked that path, continue forward. The point that you want to flex and pivot, and this is hot versus great, so a hot business um, and this is not my example. It's a classic one that I picked up from probably one of these forums uh, and entrepreneurial conferences that I've been to. Um, but Kodak was hot because they had film. And whoever is going to replace capturing moments on film? Well, they weren't great because they realized what people care the most about is the moment itself, not having the physical photo. So they weren't great because there's no reason why Kodak couldn't have become Instagram. So that's a case of where rigidity, when it's working well, you need to almost break yourself before broken because if you don't and you continue forward, it puts up blinders and you miss out on some opportunities. It's the same thing in pretty much any industry is if you're on your path and trajectory forward, um, as soon as you get to the point where you can form new theories and new hypotheses and explore more, do that. So in the early stage in terms of rigidity, you need to have a clear direction and focus because if you don't, it's going to be demotivating to your team. It's going to be challenging for investors. It's going to be challenging for advisors. It's going to be challenging for your customer base if what you're building changes every other time that you talk about it. So do your research ahead of time, form your hypothesis, and then once you start to test and you bring it to market, that's when you can be flexible with it. But you need to do so in a statistically relevant way. So 
with footwear. Just because one person says, I want it in this color, well, how big is that market? So you're still rigid that I'm only launching in these colorways, but I can be flexible in the sense that let me actually find out. Let me survey my customer base. How many of would you would buy in this colorway? And if it's enough to offset the cost of creating it and you think there's a market for it, then you can move it forward. So you need to have this flexibility after you've gotten to the point where you can actually start testing your theory. And then on an ongoing basis, getting back to hot versus great, what works today might not necessarily work tomorrow. So once you found something that works, build a team around it and set it to the races. But you need to be looking at what is the next curve? What is the next place? Unless your vision is this is a really short run thing, it's going to be a one and done. I know the market for this is not going to exist in a year from now, so just make hay while the sun shines, fine. Um, but in terms of longevity, if your goal is to build a uh, longevity brand or business, is once things start to go, whether it's good or bad, you immediately need to take a look at what are we missing? What else can we do? But the trick in there is balancing. You don't wanna completely pivot. If I'm making shoes and I realize that there's a bigger opportunity to do medical gowns, for example, which I think that's a saturated market, so that's probably the best example, but I'm not gonna stop making shoes and all of a sudden start making medical gowns because that's such a huge reach. If the shoes are going well, make the shoes and then figure out if I really want to own this consumer, what else can I layer onto the strategy, but continue to talk with the consumer. How do you feel about this product? Is there anything else that further we can do to develop this product? So like if I was in Kodak shoes, which is easy to say now because we know how the story went, but at the time probably would have really been difficult is for a representative from Kodak to go out to somebody using their camera and say, Hey, um, what do you care most about it? And the consumer may not even have the answer to it because they don't know that they can take a photo on their phone and share it with their friends that didn't exist. So your consumer might not have the answers as well. So in order to be on the curve, you have to continue to remember what made you an entrepreneur in the first place. You're thinking of things that nobody else has thought of before, or you're thinking of it in a way that hasn't been addressed, or you're doing something that is different than the rest of the market. So you continually have to have that thinking cap on once it worked one time, great. It's not going to work the same way for the rest of the time. Continue to iterate, continue to evolve, but see an idea through until you can prove it wrong. And at that point, you can switch from rigidity to flexibility. And that is such a great example. I think Kodak always comes up as an example in business. And I love that you mentioned break it before it's broken. So that's such a great piece of advice. And you've given us so much great advice throughout this episode. So what's great advice that you have received from someone else? Sure. So this is with my past footwear endeavor. Um, but I met with somebody who's a brand rep out in China. And he was looking to bring on some new brands. And I asked him. And he worked with uh, artists, mostly painters and things like that. And I said, what do you look for if you're going to get behind somebody? Because I see so many talented people. We're out at New York Fashion Week and I'm going, how do you pick behind this person who look at their following, look at the quality of work, look at the price point? Why did you land on this person who has no market awareness, who's, you know, you could say it's good, bad, if art is objective. How did you pick this individual? And the advice that he gave me, because if you want somebody to bet on you, you want, and he goes, when I bet on somebody, I want to find that person whose oxygen would be gone if not for this one thing. 
He goes, more than anything else, because anyone can build a following, anyone can get good at a craft, but the difference is, and why I work with these particular artists is because I know if I took their ability to create this art away, they would cease to breathe. They would cease to exist. And I can see that, I can feel that in the people that I work with. So that's what I look for. And I internalize that and realize, okay, if I want someone to get behind me, if I want someone to get behind my idea, that is what not only I need to come across that way, but that's what I need to believe. Because there's a difference between acting like if it's gone, your oxygen is gone, and that actually being the case. And so a lot of that comes down to internal reflection of what is that one thing that if it is gone, that is your oxygen, and without that, you can't breathe. And that's the catalyst, and that's why I realized at the core and fiber of my being that I am an entrepreneur, because if I don't have the ability to create something for myself and share it with the marketplace, that is my oxygen. So that oxygen is taking away from me when I'm working in a traditional environment where I don't have the same freedoms to create and freedoms as we discussed aren't necessarily a freedom in the traditional sense. They actually come with a lot of strings that make you less free in some senses, but I identified that oxygen. So that advice to me has translated and resonated and I'm aware of that. Whenever I'm going to talk about something, especially if I want someone to be interested in it, I need to realize what is the piece of my story? What is the piece of this business that is my oxygen that without it, I can't breathe. And that's what I share when I talk with people. And that's how I've been able to gravitate the types of individuals at the levels of seniorities that they're at towards this current venture. So my advice is find your oxygen and make sure that that comes through whenever you're speaking about your business. And along with that oxygen, I think it's also really helpful when you maybe get some like positive reinforcement, whether it's from like your customers or someone else. So what's been like a, this was all worth it moment for you. So somewhere where you realize that everything I'm doing is totally worth it. Sure. So I would just say, and it sounds kind of cheesy, but just the way that I feel today where I don't have an income, my bank account is extremely low, I have an upcoming wedding, uh, we live in New York, rent is high, but I'm just, I feel a buzz and I feel an excitement. And so that to me is my indication that this is what I'm meant to be doing because having nothing in terms of physical goods and a lot of these other things, I'm still happy. And so for me, that is my sign of this is all worth it. You could take it in the literal sense of, okay, well, once I build the business, I see that the market is um, receiving it well. My customers are happy. That's my second worth it moment, bringing it to market. So with this particular business, that will be, yes, it's all worth it. Once it starts to become a real business and generate revenues with positive feedback and grows to scale, I think it will be. But in terms of, is this even a path that I should be on? My it's all worth it moment. It's just the way that I feel. I'm happy day to day. I'm energized day to day having nothing in terms of finances and resources and things that I used to think made me happy. And they don't. Um, obviously, it will make me happy generating revenue in the future, but all worth it. It's just the way that I feel day to day. And that's a life worth living. Awesome. And really well said. So would you consider yourself to be an accidental entrepreneur, meaning it just kind of fell upon you? Or are you somebody that you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I've been doing this since a little kid. I started watering lawns when I was a kid and figured out I could do more lawns by going to Home Depot and getting self-timers for hoses and planning on moving them here to here to here. 
I was walking dogs. I was always coming up with some new invention, new idea. And then I would say, though, that it was only from a refinement process of getting kicked in the teeth a lot, working for some really tough businesses, working in some really challenging industries, and basically getting a schooling in life across all these different areas that it made me well-equipped to be an entrepreneur. So I always had that vision and idea in my mind ever since I was a little kid. My folks would say the same, that I'm going to build my own business someday. Um, but what really allowed me the opportunity to do this with conviction is having real world experiences, going through this, learning the knowledge that I needed instead of saying, well, I'm going to build a footwear business. So I'll find someone who knows how to make footwear. I know how to make footwear myself. I'm not going to be physically hand making them, but I have handmade shoes. So by figuring out what are all the pieces that I need to get done instead of relying on other individuals, obviously you want to be mindful of your time build a team to take care of those components. But because I've gone through so many different experiences in life, and I strongly encourage this, is if you feel like you have this entrepreneurial bug and an itch to scratch, figure out, okay, what can you do to be mindful of your time to make yourself ready? By making yourself ready, it's not necessarily financially, which if you have the ability to do so fantastic, but mentally, so reading a lot, talking a lot, finding a mentor, asking difficult conversations, uh, asking for difficult conversations, asking for critical feedback about yourself. So the more that you can refine and shape yourself, the better equipped you're going to be to be a completed vessel to fill this uh, entrepreneurial spirit and actually get you, I would say, not to the finish line, get you to the start line. Get to a point where you've got a physical product, good service, whatever this um, idea or concept is and bring it to market. And at that point, you got a whole new set of challenges. But I would say that I always had that itch to scratch as a child. Um, I was very conscious of the different industries that I worked with. What skill am I going to be creating? Obviously, if I'm getting paid for it, fantastic. But I've been really mindful of can I apply the skill towards my ultimate dream of building my own business? Awesome. And so looking back, what do you wish you knew when you started off your journey as an entrepreneur? Oh, so many things. Um, I would say, uh, and, and I've learned this and applied this now, but if you're going to build anything, um, some key pieces that you do want to have at least an idea about is where are you going to source your financing from? If you don't have it saved, are you going to go an investment route? Are you going to pre-sale this? Are you going to look at Kickstarter? So fortunately, I've lot of time and learnings to figure those things out, which are still exploratory, but at least I had a roadmap. Uh, but those are things that I didn't really, I thought about, but I didn't have a solid plan for. I didn't know how to pipeline a list of target investors or who even to put on that list. I hadn't gone through, well, what is the process if I do want to run a pre-sale? Are there any um, ramifications of this? Are there certain laws and things that I need to do to put in place to do this? Um, trademarking and things like that. So. When I was younger, um, I, I didn't know about a lot of these things that I should be thinking about. So it's just having the, the foresight to plan for these and to know that there's a lot of unknowns that you're going to come up against. Um, but I wish that earlier on, somebody had been a mentor to me and said, okay, before you get into all of this, there's some things that you should think about. So not even giving me the answer, but just giving me more questions to think about myself. So something that I've done since then, 
I picked up mentors. And these mentors aren't in my same field. They're in completely different fields, which I find a lot of value in because I can see some things they're doing in their industries and go, wow, I wonder why no one from the music industry is doing this in footwear. Or I wonder why in the comic book space, why does this not happen on a traditional brand side? So I learn a lot as well, but they're in a position where they don't really gain anything either way from being critical or not critical. They're just going to be honest with me. So by finding a mentor that's helped me think critically and answer my own questions. So it's, I, I don't wish that I had the answers to a lot of these things because I don't think anybody does. I wish that I had somebody to ask me the right questions to force me to think critically about these different areas to cover. That is really well said. So for anyone listening, just think critically. This has been like one of the most insightful episodes that we've had so far. I think we learned so much from you. But before we let you go, Rob, we're going to do a kind of like another little game. So it's a quick take. So I have some questions for you and I just want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Don't put too much thought into it. Sure. So the first one is what gets you out of bed every morning? My alarm clock. That works. What time do you wake up? Six o'clock. Awesome. What is your hustle anthem? So a song that you just love to jam out to while hustling. Oh, it sounds cheesy, but Aloe Black, the man. And I play that after I've crossed a benchmark. It's got such good energy and vibe and just like, ah, yes. How can you not feel good listening to this? (laughs) Great song. So if you had to delete all but three apps on your phone, so you can only keep three, which three would you keep? I would keep um, WhatsApp because that's how I communicate with my extended family and suppliers. I would keep my email because that's where I do a lot of business for some folks in different time zones. And I would probably keep Instagram because Instagram has been such a huge tool for me. That's where I sourced feedback on designs. It's where I found people to recruit for Google Forms. So through Instagram, that has been an extremely impactful tool for me. But really it comes down to just communication. I don't I could get rid of anything else that's for entertainment, but communication, those are the three strongest channels that I use. So all productive apps. What is a quote that you live by? Courage is everything. Uh, That's my own quote uh, from the Rob McCallan business. And something that I realize is that there used to be a time when people took that extra step. And I feel like now people want things quick and fast and now, and they're afraid that it's not going to work out. But in the olden days, when people, they fought my grandparents, they fought for love across oceans and a war apart. Grandpa was interned and grandma made it on a boat and they found their way back to each other. Um, but just having the courage to have a passion and have a commitment is something that I feel like is missing in large part today and I think should be stable. So courage is everything is my own personal life motto and slogan. It's just have the courage to take the step when it counts because amazing things can happen when you believe in yourself. I love that. And now you've made me curious about your grandparents' love story too. So we're going to have to talk about that some other time. So if you could have the most expansive network in the world, meaning access to literally anyone, or you could have unlimited funding, but you can only choose one. So either the network or the funding, which one would you choose? 100% the network. Um, I think that if you have the right network in place, so for example, if my network is consumers, people who are gonna buy the product, and I can get them to say, yes, we wanna buy, 
taking that to somebody who has funds available saying it's pre-sold to the market, you pretty much can't fail. I think that's a much better equation than having endless finances to put towards it, but having no contact with your consumers, no contact with the resources that you need. So I think that the network is the most valuable piece. And if you're talking about chicken before the egg, I don't think it's the same equation. I think that your network will always be the strongest gating factor towards success over finances. Because if finances were the answer, anybody who's got a dollar to the name would be successful, but they're not. Um, and so having that network and networking come in a lot of shapes and forms, but for feedback loop, for mentorship, for camaraderie, for consumer basis, for developing products, even a network of potential investors, I think has been and will always be the strongest asset that you can have over having unlimited resources. Totally Financial. agree with that. Totally agree. And I don't think anyone out of all the interviews I've done has ever said funding so far. So network. <laughs> So with that being said, if you could add any one person to your network today, who would it be? Oh, uh, gosh, that is a great question. I would probably say directly to my network, it may be one of the founders of Figs or Janu, um, because they have realized that the medical community uh, was underserved and they created a better quality scrubs product, either that or... Um, probably even on the, the government side. So I know that there's um, a director of innovation and technology um, that sits on the highest office of law, uh, but directly with anyone on the government side who can implicate and implement new standards. Because what I'm seeing with this product, there's absolutely no reason. I checked with OSHA and I've checked in terms of PPE, but there is no regulatory standard around the safety of your footwear in hospitals specifically, it makes no sense to me that a patient with an infectious bodily disease can leak fluid on a nurse with a mesh shoe, and if she has any open sores, if he has any open sores on her feet, to become infected. It makes absolutely no sense to me that people who are on the front lines, who are giving up this incredible amount of sacrifice to keep us safe, that they themselves, there's not regulations around the safety element to it. So um, whoever that would be in terms of passing a law and passing new mandates that we need to take better care and protection of the people who protect us, that would be extremely beneficial and transformative in terms of the product that I'm making to make it not only an option, but a necessity for better quality standards for the target audience that I'm building this for in the first place. Awesome. So speak it into existence. So final question I have for you, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, that is, a, that is a great question. Advice to give to my younger self um, would be anytime that um, I'm running into difficult situations because I've gone through some really challenging times in my life, it's just, and I probably would give the same advice that my dad has given me at moments in my life when it's been really challenging. What he always tells me, he goes, listen, you've been through difficult times before and look, you're alive today. You've always found a way to make it through. And when I was young, um, I got really, really, really severely bullied for a couple of years in high school that extended for quite some time. And I faced a lot of things that are really unfortunately common for so many people today. And on the surface, you may see them and think that, oh, they've never been depressed. They've never been bullied. They've never gone through all these different things. But oftentimes, it's the people that look like they have it all together 
that don't. So my advice to myself when I'm younger is that just, just have faith in yourself. It's going to get better. You're going to find a way to make this through. So chin up, keep positive and brighter days are ahead. Awesome. Super, super well said. Rob, it was such a pleasure having you on and learning about Gales and your journey as a whole. This has been so insightful. So thank you so much for coming on as a guest. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can learn more about our guests through the details in this episode's description. For more content and the latest on all things BizBanter, follow us on Instagram at BizBanter or visit BizBanter.com. See you next time.